Good morning. You're now listening to Grace City Portland. Guys, we're going to uh, jump into part three of a sermon series that we started, a bit of a summer mini-series called Trust Issues. The big idea is this. In what or in whom you trust and to the degree in which you trust someone, God or anyone, will really be proportionate to the depth of your relationships and the... The, the level of intimacy and satisfaction you enjoy in them, in your relationships with each other and with God. Trust is a really, really big deal. If, if we don't trust each other, if we don't grow in our trust for God, we'll never really be able to surrender ourselves to him. We won't even be able to be vulnerable in our relationships with each other. And without that, Without a level of vulnerability and a willingness to entrust ourselves to each other, um, we'll only ever do superficial. And who's really interested in that? I'm not, and I hope we're not as a church. So trust issues. Um, this morning, I'm, I'm entitling this, this talk, this sermon, Trusting Again, because I want us to think about how do we rebuild trust when perhaps trust has been broken? What does that look like in life, whether it's in a relationship with another person or if perhaps you feel like you've entrusted a part of yourself to God and that didn't really work out. If you've ever felt that way, where do you go from there? How do you begin to rebuild and to trust God again? You guys with me? I brought the spectacles. Um, we're going to start with a, a Facebook post. First slide, please. So where else would we start a sermon, right? The most important things in life are meant to be given away. Agree, disagree? Is it? I, I posted this seven years ago, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll explain to you why I remember that in just a second. The most important things in life are meant to given away, uh, to be given away. I believed it when I posted it seven years ago. I thought, this is brilliant. I'm sure I'm not the first person to think this, or I'm, I'm sure I, I picked this up someplace. I think it's true. I think it's true. Things like love, um, compassion, mercy, hope, these sorts of things that aren't meant to be hoarded, Certain gifts that you're given, you're not meant to just keep them to yourself. They're meant to be passed on. They're meant to be given to others. And I think that's actually a pretty good indication of where kind of you're at in life, where you're at in terms of your emotional um, maturity, the depth of your relationships. Ken, question. Yes, very good. Your testimony, your story, like who is God to you? What has he done? Where, Where are you coming from? These are not things meant to just be kind of kept private and hoarded to your little self. The most important things in life, I believe truly are meant to be given away. Jesus uh, said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
The scriptures tell us that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We're given gifts so that we might gift those around us. Jesus said in Luke 17, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will truly gain it. The kind of life that we're meant to experience as as followers of Jesus, children of God, it's a life that's meant to be given away. Um, Jesus also said in Luke 18, truly I say to you, there there is one, sorry, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So there's absolutely a theme throughout scripture, certainly within the teachings of Jesus, that this life that he wants us to experience, he described it as abundant life, isn't a life that's meant to be hoarded, the life that's meant to be shared and given away. And that's where we experience the true blessing. That's where we experience the life, I think, we're all really looking for. Let's go to the next slide. Here's a message someone sent me in response to my Facebook post. And this is why I remember it so vividly, seven years ago. I gave them everything I had, including my dreams. It left me husbandless, childless, and broke. I just want to die. Please pray for me. This was a a girl that I used to go to church with. When I first got saved, she saw my my little clever post, and she clearly thought to herself, huh, really? Is that how it works? Yeah. I tried that. I don't have a husband. I'm not a mom. I've given all my money away, apparently. And honestly, I want to die. What do you do with that? That's arguably an example of what it might feel like to trust uh, God or them I gave them, assuming she's referring to probably the church, a bunch of Christians. What does it feel like to come back from that place? How, how, do, how does one begin to, to come back? If we give our most valuable and vulnerable treasures to God, what are we setting ourselves up for? That's a, that's, a, that's a big question. If we entrust our most valuable and vulnerable treasures, like my inner being to God and perhaps to others, because I, I reckon those two categories are always somehow connected, what are we setting ourselves up for? I want to I respond to that by asking two more questions. Number one, um, it's just the obvious question, but it simply is what are we to expect? If we do entrust ourselves to God, I reckon, you know, we're a Christian church here. It's likely that most of us would say, I, I'm following Jesus. I've made a decision to entrust my life, my eternity, everything that's meaningful to me to Jesus because he promised 
that there's nothing I can give up in this life that he won't redeem and he can give back to me in a better, more wholesome, lasting way. So let's say you, you, you've decided to do that. What, what exactly are we to expect out of that deal? Let's go to the next slide. We're going to be looking a little bit at Peter this morning. He's going to pop up here and there. But Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31 says, Peter began to say to him, that is Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, that's family, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Jesus has promised us. He promised his disciples and it's a a promise for us that we cannot outgive our king. We cannot give him. That's a promise. He promises that whatever we leave, whatever we give up in this life, we will experience a return. Although he, he does qualify that promise with that little caveat there about persecutions. Yeah. Why is, why is this important? Okay, if, we're, if we're talking about trust, if we're talking about like depth of relationship, we have to talk about expectations. We have to talk about expectations. Let me put it this way. The essence of trusting someone is choosing to believe they are who they say they are and they'll do what they've promised to get done. One of the quickest ways to begin losing your ability to trust someone is by expecting them to be someone they're not, but to do something they can't actually accomplish. So Jesus says, trust me. This is who I am, and this is what I will accomplish. You cannot outgive me. Give me whatever you've got. I'll redeem it. I'll make it beautiful. Even the junk, put it in my hands, and watch what I can do with broken stuff. I'll give back to you a hundredfold, whatever that means. It's a lot. With persecutions. See, Jesus doesn't promise an easy life. Has has anyone ever heard that sermon? Have you ever watched that channel? You know what I'm talking about? Trust Jesus, give him this or that or whatever, and like all of your wildest dreams will come true. You've heard that one? Sowing seed. Now there is, like most good heresies, there is, there is a, a seed, an element of truth in that, right? You will reap what you sow. Give it to him, he'll give it back. Great, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, hallelujah. It's great. 
with persecutions. <laughs> Jesus does not promise, trust me and your life will be easy. In fact, we, we could read some other verses that say the exact opposite. Trust me and take up your cross. Die to yourself. Follow me. Jesus promised, it said in John 17, um, he says explicitly, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, I mean, this, this might seem obvious to you. You have to be fairly naive at this stage in life to think that somehow Christianity is like this magic wand religion that if you just say a prayer, life is magically going to just be easy. That, that is incredibly naive. And it's not funny because people do actually say that. People will cherry pick verses and create this sort of like this, this case for how like, oh yeah, like come, come to our church and give money to Jesus and like it's all gonna be fine. No, that's a lie. Life will be just as hard, if not harder, if you choose to follow Jesus, but he's gonna do something much, much greater through it if in fact you will dare to entrust him with your life. Let me put it this way. Whether you believe in God or you're like a hardcore atheist, life is gonna be full of ups and downs. That's, That's just reality. And if you've not experienced any of the downs, or the ups yet, just hang in there. Life will happen. You'll get there. It's essential that we, we have fair and right expectations. And that, that applies to our relationships with one another as well. As we learn to trust each other, one of the quickest ways to begin to make trusting virtually impossible is to impose expectations on each other that Let's be honest, most of us aren't even able to accomplish. Um, I know in, in marriage, like this has probably come, come very, very true for me. Um, you know, you go on, we had a beautiful wedding yesterday, some of you were there. Um, and their vows were awesome. They were very honest. I really appreciated uh, one of the, the, the guy, the groom, Tyler, he said, I promise we will fight. And I promise I will fight for you. I'm like, yes, thank you. That's That's... <laughs> That's right. But oftentimes we can go into a relationship thinking that somehow that person is going to be like God. And they're going to fulfill our our soul's deepest desires. And we expect them to fulfill a promise they never ever made nor should make. And so it's important that we understand what we're meant to expect if in fact we do trust Jesus and each other. Well, what does he promise? He promises followers um, an abundant life. Love that word. He promises us freedom, joy. He promises us forgiveness. He promises to rescue us from hell. That's a huge promise. He promises us hope. He promises us a home. He says, I will make a home for the lonely. You may not end up with a spouse. 
You may not end up with your own biological children, but one promise is for sure that if you're lonely, God has a home for you. Jesus makes a way for you and I to experience adoption into his family. That's a big one. He promises us a future. And he promised to never leave us alone. He promised to never bail on us. Never flake out. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. It says, keep your life free from love, free from the love of money, not free from love. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We find that in Deuteronomy 31, Joshua 1, someplace in 1 Kings, um, Hebrews, where I've just read from. Over and over and over, this promise, God says, no matter what happens, whether you are on the mountaintop or walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not leave you. I will be with you forever. That's a promise. But here's the second question. Because that was all that had to do with the first question. What are our expectations? Here's the second question. What do you do when it feels like God has broken his promise? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going out on some, some treacherous water here. Some of you are like, whoa, what? No, don't, don't say that. <laughs> what does it feel like? Or rather, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed with that feeling? But No, but I trusted God. I trusted him. And I'm hus- husbandless, I'm, I'm childless, I'm broke, and I want to die. So explain it to me now. What do you do when you feel like you're in that place? Um, Peter was the one who looked on as Jesus was not only taken away from them, arrested, and handed over to the authorities, but Peter was the one who also looked on as Jesus was brutally tortured and crucified before his eyes. And Peter was in the crowd looking on as Jesus, breathing his last, exclaimed with a loud voice, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Talk about just watching your whole theology crumble. What about the promise? And there, the one who promised to never leave us has been taken away. Who's now being crucified on a cross, who in his last dying breath cries out to his father, Why have you forsaken me? What do you do with all of that? Let's go to the next slide. That's my dog. That's cinnamon. 
Look at those brown eyes. <laughs> Cinnamon is one of the sweetest, uh, most like viciously loyal. She's nice, but if you mean my family harm, like she will try to kill you, at least in her mind. Like if, if a bird flies into the airspace over our backyard, she flips out. Very, very protective. I'm also extremely insecure. If you've ever been over my house, some of you know this, and, and you try to pat cinnamon, she'll, like, she'll freak out. Uh, when we adopted her, how, how long ago was it? Like three, four years, about three years ago, we adopted cinnamon. Um, obviously, there's no way to know this for certain, but I'm, I'm fairly convinced that her previous owner who abandoned her beat her. Because if you just give her a little pat, it's like it triggers something. She like flips out like she's going to get a beating. Um, it's really sad. <sighs> Might I suggest that that's a bit of a metaphor for our lives? Like to one degree or another. I know not, like some of us in here have been beat, I'm sure. Abused. Um, some of us, maybe not so much. But something will happen to us in life eventually that will leave you slightly wounded, slightly scarred. Someone who should have been there for you will bail. Someone, the last person you would think to lie to you will make a promise and then break it. And the next time someone comes along and wants to give you a little pat on the side who attempts to express some kind of love, perhaps shares some affection, maybe even makes a promise to you, you flinch. Like, no, let's just not go there. Let's not get that vulnerable. Because I don't want to get all psychotherapeutic or <laughs> I'm going to tread very softly here, but I think this is more of just like, like humanity 101. We get hurt, we tend to want to bite those who, who come close to us again. That's just kind of the way it works. Is that fair? Yeah. What do we do with that? Where do you go from there? How do we trust again? Because I want to say four things. Number one, allow your pain to teach you. We've all broken promises. Let your pain teach you to be humble and compassionate towards those who need it the most. I, I want to contend that it's not all a bad thing. Oh, it's bad to be lied to, to be betrayed. Oh, it's bad. But our God is the master of redemption. Those moments in life where, where you felt like the backhand of life, that pain, it, ha it can go one of two ways, typically. It can harden you. And you, can get, you can get this mindset like no one's ever going to get that close to me again. And if someone does, look out, because you're going to strike first if it comes down to it. 
or that pain can soften you. It can humble you. That experience can cause you to be hardened or humbled. It can be a reminder that, look, at you've done it yourself. You've lied, I'm sure, to at least one or two people in your life. You've broken promises, probably promises you're not even aware of. Is that true? Of course it is. Allow your pain to teach you. Number two, allow your pain to remind you. Let me read you uh, this little excerpt out of uh, one of Peter's letters. First Peter, chapter four, verse 12 and 13. He writes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad, glad when his glory is revealed. There's something about the, the pain of betrayal that allows us to experience what our Savior himself underwent for us. It's we get to participate in the pain of Christ. You know, if you ever read a bit of church history, if you go back to the, you know, first, second, third century, it was considered an incredible honor to die for your faith. It was a privilege to participate in the suffering of our Savior. That is so utterly foreign to any sort of frame of thought we have in our life today. I I think, for the most part. It's an honor to participate in the suffering of Christ. It reminds us of the way Jesus suffered for us. It reminds us that not only am I at times a victim that longs for justice, but I'm also a criminal to whom God has extended mercy. And when I experience the pain of this life, I'm reminded of the pain that Jesus experienced for me. It is a great honor to suffer. It's a hard one. It's funny that Peter was the one that wrote this. Um, Peter was also the one who abandoned Jesus. He did it first. He may have felt like Jesus broke his promise to him. We'll find out in the end he absolutely did not. But Peter was the one who abandoned Jesus first. And guys, that's such a good reminder. We need to remember that we were the ones who rebelled against our God first. We were the ones who turned our back on him. And every once in a while, when life gives us the backhand, it's a reminder, "Mm, that's right. Jesus suffered for my sins. Jesus paid the price when I forsook him. That's a heavy reminder. It's a reminder that the faithful one became the forsaken for us. I like how John Calvin put it. He said that Jesus bore in his soul the terrible torments of a condemned and lost man for us. Number three, 
Allow your pain to come out. This is what's really gonna determine whether or not the pain of broken trust becomes the thing that hardens you or humbles you. If you simply let the pain of betrayal, of broken trust fester in your heart, if you think, yeah, right, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, maybe, or maybe you just get really, really bitter and die lonely because no one knows you. We need to learn how to get that pain out. Jesus showed us how. He demonstrated something incredibly powerful for us on the cross. Now Jesus wasn't merely feeling forsaken on the cross. This is a a bit of a theological nuance. Jesus became forsaken on the cross. When he died for us, he experienced that forsakenness that sin causes in human life for us. He was forsaken, but I love how he cried out in a loud voice. He didn't just keep it inside. He just didn't grin and bear. He didn't just clench his fist and say, I'm gonna get through this because I'm strong. No, he became weak and he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Utterly human in a moment. He showed us this is, this is how we're meant to process pain in our lives. Oh, God, we have to get it out. We could talk about confession. Gosh, some of us in here, we need to like get some good therapy. I'm being dead serious. It's been one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Super helpful. But you need to tell God what's on your heart. If you ever want to get past that pain, if you ever want to stop flinching every time someone comes along and tries to get close to you, you need to get that out. That might even mean screaming at God. He can take it. Oh, he's, he's really um, patient like that. Finally, number four, allow your sorrow to turn into joy. Can we put up the last slide, please? Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament the world will rejoice. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? When you feel like the pain of the world and everyone else is having a party. Isn't that the best when you come to church and you're like, I barely made it here, I wanna die. And we're just all clapping and singing and happy. You're like, am I the only one? But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. And he concludes by saying, ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Can we stand together?